Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. Let me just throw out one announcement really quick, and that is that uh, there's a new project I started, which is translating a German podcast into English. The content is not mine. Um, it's relevant for this show because we're about to talk about the original host, the German host. Um, but the new show is called The Secret Cabinet. That's secret-cabinet.com, like secret-cabinet.com. And it's about all kinds of historical curiosities that in the past were normally locked away from the public because of their um, nature, let's say. So like the first episode is on Napoleon's penis, for instance. So weird things like that, but the content was so great, I thought it needed to live in the English-speaking world. So go take a look at secret-cabinet.com and give it a listen. So today's another episode I've been kind of wanting to do for a long time, but it's now it's kind of timely. There's um, some events that, that happen that, that make this kind of relative. I got a link sent to me from, um, the link is from the Mitteldeutsche Zeitung, which is the translated as the central German newspaper, basically, a newspaper in Germany. And the link was sent to me by Der Budler, who is a host of, a, of two German podcasts. One's an archaeological podcast called Angegraben, and the other one is a podcast of historical curiosities, like interesting artifacts and knickknacks and whatever from the past, called Das Geheime Kabinett, like the secret cabinet. And he sent this to me, and um, I went to go visit him in, in Wittenberg. But basically, in the article, um, it talked about a discovery of 500-year-old shards of glass that when they were doing their research or kind of investigation, it soon dawned on them that what they were researching were the oldest known alchemical vessel remnants from Central Europe. But it gets even better, and, and I have to back up a little bit and explain this. So um, the interesting aspect of this find is that it happened in Wittenberg. Now, Witt Wittenberg is Luther's hometown, and listeners of the History of Germany podcast will know that I went to Wittenberg to hunt down Der Budla, the, the host of those shows. I remember when you went. Yeah, yeah. And, and he lives there, and he actually works in the Luther house. So he's actually, you know, he's, he's sort of a historian, and he used to work in the... Uh, Landes Museum in Halle, which so I interviewed him for the Sky Disk of Nebra, which is a Bronze Age artifact, and then um, we were talking about Luther and this kind of thing, and he showed me around Wittenberg, kind of giving me a tour of the town and giving me a tour of the the Luther House, um, and there's there's a, a short interview coming up, um, maybe already published, depending on when you're listening to this about some of the lesser-known aspects of the Martin Luther story, which I'll publish very soon, like now. And, um, you, you know, just as kind of a sneak preview for the later Reformation uh, series that I'll do on the History of Germany podcast. But he also gave me something for this show. 
So we walked past their Faust house. I say the Wittenberg Faust house or their Faust house because there are several. There's several in southern Germany. There's one in Prague. Um, and he hinted at that time, this was a couple months ago, that National, Ge National Geographic had been in town and cool stuff was afoot. Okay, and that's all he could tell me. And I, I was like, what? You know, there's a little plaque saying, you know, Johann Georg Faust lived here and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? So the National Geographic Channel or the magazine? Did, did yes. They, yes, all of the above. Yeah. Oh, cool. And, um, but, but it was the German version of it. Like I was looking. So now there, you can go online and look for National Geographic, Faust, whatever, and you'll see stuff. Um, also, including the stuff mentioned in the article um, about the 500-year-old shards of glass. But... Um, yeah, so I only found results in German. So I think this was like German journalists going there for National Geographic and doing German articles. I didn't, I didn't see anything in, in, for the English yet. Um, but regardless, like according to that MZ article, when they were researching those sh glass shards, they came across traces of antimony on the glass and then partially melted pieces of antimony itself. And that, now that should ring a bell because like we mentioned in the Basil, Basil Valentine episode that he might that he possibly described it, and if he did, he was the first, which is kind of a controversial view, but, but really interesting. And in fact, we could probably do a whole show on antimony, because antimony is, like, this metalloid is just really interlinked with alchemy, like the, the discovery of it, everything about it, kind of. Um, but, so, like, basically, if gold has lead impurities, antimony would bond with the lead and get the gold out, so it purifies the gold. Anyways, like, okay, so they, they also found mercury residue on the glass, and after some 2,800 hours of putting these glass shards back together, the result was some seven distillation vessels, 12 retorts, several condensers and other glass vessels, alembics, retorts, okay, like the whole nine yards. So we're talking a full table of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, okay. yeah, exactly. There's, there's a picture. You, yeah, if you look it up, probably using your German Google foo, because there's a lot more in German than English about this. But, um, you know, you'll, yeah, you'll see glass shards laid out, and the National Geographic article had sort of, you know, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a puzzle. You know, they, they put the glass shards back together to kind of figure out what they're looking at. And then there are also like ceramic parts that go with these were found. And so the alchemist lab was dated to 1532. That date's important. And they also found the skull of a small dog um, that had been heated, burnt, whatever. Um, so part of some experiment. They couldn't tell exactly what the experiment was or what was the point of, but it was a skull that was heated. That's also interesting or, or important for, for um, some aspects. But... Anyways, like just the, the, the nature of the find and, and the details about it is something I could talk about for hours and read about for hours because I, I, this is just super fascinating. But there's something even more going on here. Namely, 1532, Faust lived in that city at that time. So potentially, this is controversial. I'm not going to say that's Faust's alchemist lab. <laughs> right. But potentially, that's Faust's alchemist lab. So that is just like, wow, that is crazy like what the heck Here, here's a figure that is you know more legend than fa than than fact um so again let's let's kind of i want this episode to be about faust so let's let's back up and talk a little bit about um who he was and the faust legend there were real people named faust and there were um real mentions of him in his lifetime and then as soon as he died 
many legends grew out of this and, and um, some of these common themes of the various legends came together in uh, Goethe's Faust in the 19th century. Okay, so I'll, I want to cover all that. I just want to kind of want to lay the groundwork of where we're going because there's, there's a lot of stuff here. So, you know, Travis, we, we look at this and in, in, in previous podcasts, we've talked about that there's been this, uh, you know, uh, animosity between Martin Luther and Faust. And we kind of will get into that tonight about those reasons. But really, Martin Luther mentioned Faust a few times, basically uh, one saying that Faust was a servant of the devil. So no, no punches pulled here. Uh, they supposedly even met at least once, and, and Luther did not want to shake his hand. Well, you know, because of the whole evil rubs off when shaking hands, of course. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that was something he wanted to stay away from. Um, I got so excited about the, the possible discovery of his actual lab that I realized I never actually did a show on him, which he's been on my list well, since, talked the, about him since the times. beginning. We yeah. mentioned him. Yeah, he came up, um, I, you know, in the kind of in the section at the end of the show when we mentioned like, like works of fiction or whatever, when they mentioned certain things. Um, we mentioned Goethe's Faust once, at least once. And there was a couple other times when he came up in works of fiction along with other alchemists and I don't remember off the top of my head but definitely um, like in some graphic novels or whatever if you see like Basil Valentine then there's Faust or, or somebody you know. So let's start to kind of know about the the legend aspect of, of Faust and here's some basic uh, sort of high points here. The most famous aspect is that Faust made a pact with the devil to gain more knowledge. Mm-hmm. He's not really satisfied with his life as a scholar. In some of the earlier legends he tries to commit suicide but fails. As a final attempt to better his lot, he calls on the devil to strike a famous bargain. His soul for happiness, riches, and even magic powers, along with knowledge of this life. The devil sends Mephistopheles to work out the details. Mephistopheles sticks around as his guide after this. In Goethe's version, Mephistopheles helps Faust seduce a beautiful innocent girl named Gretchen. What else, of course? Yeah. <laughs> All right, that made sense. Uh, who, suffers, who suffers as a consequence. Obviously, in return for the benefits of this world, the devil takes him off to hell in the end of the story. Not in, in Goethe's version, though. There he finds redemption. Yeah. So that, that's kind of, those are kind of the, the common themes of the legends. There, there's a lot of variation, but that's, that's the gist of it. Like, even in his lifetime. Like I said, Luther mentioned him a few times. So that's something interesting that um, Luther said he had an uncle in Wittenberg, and that's why he came to Wittenberg. In most legends, and even the actual, there is a real person named Johann Georg Faust, um, and he lived in southern Germany. So most cities that claim to be the home of Faust are in southern Germany, um, and also Krakow, weirdly enough, because that's where he supposedly studied. But in his lifetime, or shortly after his lifetime, mostly shortly after his lifetime, there was a lot of published works that deal with him and go into legend very quickly. So, so you know, they had a real figure in mind, but there was, like, in, in 1593, there was this Das Wagner Buch, like the, the Wagner book, um, Das Widmanche Faust Buch, several others, um, a lot of them called, like, Faust Buch or Dr. Faust something something, um, and then up until the 18th century, and then we have Goethe in the 19th century. So Goethe's version... More specifically, okay, so here's, here's the basic story. And this is like one of the kind of cornerstones of German literature. So if you study like uh, 
if you study German or German literature, which one of the things I did in university, then you don't get around Goethe. Like you study Goethe. He's yeah. you study the Grimm and Goethe because they're and then also um, the life of Luther to some degree because they're the ones, especially Luther, really, but also especially Grimm. You know the fairy tales, the Grimm brothers. Yeah, Grimm brothers, yeah. They're the ones that set down the spelling of German, and then Luther also set down the grammar, and then Grimm kind of you know set it even more into stone. So kind of like what Shakespeare did to English, um, and then some some later authors. It became so popular that people wrote, they, they mimicked their spelling to be like Luther's or Grimm's or Goethe's. Goethe's already pretty late in this, but, but still just like many German sayings, just like many English sayings come from Shakespeare, many German sayings come from Goethe. So it's, um, and Goethe's Faust is just one of those books, like one of those works, it's just the cornerstone of German literature. So in, in, in his version, Mephistopheles makes a bet with God. He says that he can lure God's favorite human being, who is Faust, who is striving to learn everything that can be known, that he can lure him away from righteous pursuits. The next scene takes place in Faust's study, where Faust, despairing at the vanity of scientific, humanitarian, and religious learning, turns to magic for the showering of infinite knowledge. Okay. He suspects that his attempts are failing, and frustrated, he kind of starts pondering suicide. In the last minute, he kind of rejects the idea when he hears echoes of nearby Easter celebrations, right? Now, he goes for a walk with his assistant, Wagner, and is followed home by a stray poodle. Now, the poodle is interesting, and this is why I mentioned that they found a, a, a skull of a small dog. Oh, that's right. The, okay. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> because the, the poodle is, like, famous in this story. So, anyway, so um, a poodle in, in German at that time just meant, like, a, a medium to big-sized dog, like a sheep dog, not necessarily what we think of as the breed, the breed of, of poodle. poodle. Yeah. Right. But so in Faust's study, the poodle transforms into the devil, actually Mephistopheles, and Faust makes an arrangement. So the devil will do everything that Faust wants while he is here on earth, and in exchange, Faust will serve the devil in hell. Now there's all this back and forth and dialogue and everything in, in Goethe's version, but um, basically Faust's arrangement is that he, if, if he is pleased enough with anything the devil gives him, that um, he he kind of wants to stay in that moment forever, um, then he will die in that moment. Okay, now Gretchen, remember Gretchen? Right, the, the girl that was in the story. Gretchen, actually. Um, so with, info from the, with influence from the devil, Faust seduces Gretchen, and Gretchen's mother then, kind of as a consequence, like, but, but as a follow-up, Gretchen's mother dies from a sleeping potion administered by Gretchen to obtain privacy so that Faust could visit her, okay? Then Gretchen discovers she's pregnant. Then Gretchen's brother condemns Faust, challenges him, and falls dead at the, hounds, at the hands of Faust and Mephistopheles. Then Gretchen drowns her illegitimate child and is convicted of murder. Okay, And then Faust tries to save Gretchen from death by attempting to free her from prison. And, but she refuses to escape. And Faust and the devil flee the dungeon while voices from heaven announce that Gretchen shall be saved. Like and this room, is yeah, this is in room. one of the versions, <laughs> and in the other versions, she's she dies as a consequence. So, and and Faust, and then in in, in many versions, um, so Faust wanders off to heaven, and Goethe, I mean, Faust gets carried off to hell when he dies. And Goethe's version, I, I think, in part two, he is redeemed. 
Is this so, supposed to be like an antichrist story because of an issue of the devil giving it's, birth it's, to Gret? It's a it's a pretty strong moral tale. Okay, just like you know, don't don't long for. And Goethe took the alchemists as an example because because alchemists are kind of the embodiment of the idea of gaining forbidden knowledge or opening Pandora's box or disturbing what they what should not be disturbed. That you know that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so Faustus used that like this this archetype of the alchemist to you know get his idea across in this moral tale, but there were there were some inspirations for this the tale of Faust, not just Goethe's version, but all the legends, and there was a Johann Georg Faust, and I don't remember what I said earlier, probably, but yeah, Doctor Johann Georg Faust, and there's probably more than one person that were the inspiration for the story, but Johann Georg Faust lived from 1840 to 1541. So in the time period that this, that this uh, lab was discovered or existed, but um, he's also known in English as John Faustus. So you also see Faustus a lot mm-hmm. in a lot of the tales, but Faust, you know, Faustus is just a Latinized version. And he was like, an, uh, you know, prime example of, of the History of Alchemy podcast. He was an alchemist, astrologer, and magician. You know, our bread and butter here. So a triple threat, an uh, alchemist. Exactly. Point. So, and, po- and and possible places of origin for the historical Johann Faust are Knittlingen, um, Helmstadt, which is near Heidelberg, or Roda. And Kn- Knittlingen today has an archive and a museum dedicated to Faust. They're kind of the famous Faust city, and th- those are all southern German cities, mostly in Baden-Württemberg, like somewhere near Heidelberg or somewhere in there. There's archives of the Heidelberg University where um, there's a certain Georgius Helmstetter. So Helmstetter is like someone from Helmstedt or Helmstadt. And it's inscribed from from 1483 to 1487. And this student exceptionally refused to reveal his last name. So he was promoted to uh, baccalaureus on the 12th of July 1484, and to Magister, to Magister Artium on the 1st of March, 1487. So here's this Georgios from Helmstadt that refused to give his last name. And some people say, oh, so he studied at the University of Heidelberg. Maybe, if, you know, here's Georg Faust, whatever. But also, for the year 1506, there was a record of Faust appearing as a performer of magical tricks and horoscopes in, in Gellahausen. Over the following 30 years, there are numerous similar records that spread over all of southern Germany. Faust appeared as a physician, doctor of philosophy, alchemist, magician, and astrologer, and was often accused as a fraud. The church denounced him as a blasphemer in league with the devil. Kind of see a theme here, don't you? Uh, Here are some of these things that were said about the actual guy, some bad and some just plain interesting. He boasted blasphemously of his powers, even claiming that he could easily reproduce all the miracles of Christ. In 1507, Tritemius alleges that he received a teaching position in Sikian, which he abused by indulging in sodomy with his male students, evading punishment by a timely escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, who knows if this is just like accusations to kind of stoke the flames of his heresy we've seen, or we've whatever. We've also seen that before in the we've past. We've seen that a lot, right? Yep. You know, people make enemies and then, you know, there's outrageous stories. And say he's a sodomite and then, or yeah. in league with the devil. So There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's also a, that a certain Georgios Faustus Helmitius Heidelbergensis, and Helmitius is like the demigod of Heidelberg, kind of. 
uh, is he was overheard of like having vain and foolish boasts in an Erfurt inn. Um, so just, you know, one more thing that was kind of spread about him is just he, just his vain and foolish boasting. And then in 1520, Faust was in Bamberg doing a horoscope for the bishop and also a horoscope for the town for which he received the sum of 10 golden. So just a, a story of, you know, this guy going by the name of Faust doing horoscopes, whatever. And in 1528, Faust visited Ingolstadt, uh, where he was banished shortly thereafter. In 1532, he seems to have tried to enter Nuremberg, according to an unflattering note made by the junior mayor of the city, to quote-unquote deny free passage to the great necromancer and sodomite Dr. Faust. So someone, someone in 1536 recognizes Faust as a respectable, as a respectable astrologer, and physician Philip Begardi of Worms, which is another Luther city, um, in 1539, praises his medical knowledge. And the last direct attestation of Faust dates to the 25th of June, 1535, when his presence was recorded in Münster during the Anabaptist Rebellion. Do you know about this Anabaptist Rebellion in Münster? Yeah, we talked about that. Dan actually, Carlin off, yeah. did a show <laughs> on it. It's four hours. Go listen. Hit pause. It's better than this show. <laughs> Go listen to that right now. I forget the the title of it, but it is like Dan Carlin, who's you know. It's, is, so it, da- is it still free on Dan Carlin's website now? I think? I think so, and okay. and it won't be forever. Right. So, so go it, listen so, to it yeah. right now. Forget about the history of alchemy podcast. Hit pause. Go listen to that. Come back, and then do come back. Um, it's like a four hour show. Dan Carlin. So it's Dan Carlin's hardcore history. Uh, he's like he's he's a legend among history podcasters. If you don't listen to him, change your yeah, sinful his, ways. His preparation's immense. Yeah. So I mean, he did he did like twenty hours on the Mongols and like twenty five hours on World War One. He can paint a picture like no one else. It's unbelievable. But he did a four hour one off show. That's a one show for four hours. That's how his shows roll. Um, where he read a book about this Anabaptist uprising in Münster, and it's a little known footnote of history. But it's unbelievable. Basically, this really charismatic guy came in, and the Anabaptists, what their belief is, is that everybody should interpret the Bible for themselves, which, of course, uh, is, could be a slippery slope. And in this case, the guy interpreted the Bible in very interesting ways. So he's like your basic cult leader, very charismatic man, came in, said, you know what, the way I interpret this is, well, look at the Garden of Eden. They ran around naked and, you know, there was no such thing as like marriage, quote unquote. You just, you know, you did what you felt was right. And so he builds this hippie commune in Minsta. Now the local Catholic Baptist surprisingly has a problem with this. And so uh, these Anabaptists take over the town and the bishop gets the Frusts, the uh, prince's army together, and the bishops, you know, get support, and they besiege the town for months. And they bombard the town with, um, you know, rotting cattle, and uh, starvation starts to occur, and sickness, and it's just insanity. Meanwhile, everything inside the town of Münster just goes steeply downhill, and everyone's starving and dying, while this cult leader is, you know, getting crazier and crazier all the time, and it's you know, minus the jumpsuits and the Nike shoes. It's it's yeah, right. kind of it kind of <laughs> right. it kind of goes down like Waco, wow. Texas, or, yeah. or Jonestown, French or Davidians. I mean, yeah, it, it yeah, it it just it goes downhill fast. Um, so the point is this. Sorry for that crazy tangent. The point is that the last attestation we have of Faust during his lifetime is 1535. He was supposedly in Münster while all this went down. 
you know, probably not true, but... Man gets th- around. There you have it. I, I, I couldn't just fly over that mention of Münster during that rebellion and not kind of give some background because it's insane. It's crazy. Um, but all my listeners now know that because they hit pause and listened to that four-hour episode show. Yeah. and you came back. Because if not, again, uh, that's wrong. Do that. Do that now. So... Um, Okay, so in any case, Faust's death is dated to 1540 or 1541. And he allegedly died in an explosion of an alchemical experiment in the Hotel zum Löwen, like the hotel to the lion, in Staufen im Breisgau. And his body is reported to have been found in grievously mutilated state, which is interpreted to the effect that the devil had come to collect him in person by his clerical and scholarly enemies. And... That's an interesting story because there are, on my ghost tour, there are stories that mirrored that um, in Prague where um, the, like no one had heard from the alchemist for a while and their rent wasn't paid. And when they went to go check on them, so in alchemy, explosions happen, right? And they would find holes in the ceiling from these explosions and all the alchemists were gone because basically what, what happened was they skipped town. They just ran out of money and couldn't pay rent. They're like, well, let's, let's get the heck out of Dodge. So they're not going to get but, their, their, their deposit back. So they're, right. out, they're out. So they're like, we're out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But the landlords would come to collect rent and find the alchemists missing and see the holes in the ceiling and, said, and, and then would say, oh, well, the devil finally came to collect their souls. And those were the ghost stories that kind of spread around Prague. And gotcha. those were some of the stories that I would tell on my, on my tour. Um, there's one house in particular where, where that, that kind of story takes place. So same kind of deal. So he died in an explosion of an alchemical experiment in a hotel, and his body was mutilated. Then um, when they buried the body, or when they, when they placed him in a coffin, his body supposedly, here's one of the legends, is that his, his body kept f- turning face down. Even though they would turn him over, they would turn the corpse back on his back. Then as soon as they left the room, the, the corpse would turn back so he was face down. And, this, and you know, so the legend is like, well... You know, he's, you know, he should be facing hell. So that's his natural state. So we can turn him on his back so he faces heaven. It won't help. He'll just turn back around. So um, those are all the stories of, like, his life and his, and his death and then post-death. But then, then you start getting a, a posthumous accounts, right? Yeah, some of his accounts, that, of course, that he is studying in Krakow and Poland. Uh, Faust had boasted that the victories over the German emperor in Italy were due to his magical intervention. So... A little boastful there, of course. In Venice, he actually attempted to fly, uh, but was thrown to the ground by the devil. Yeah, that's why he was thrown to the ground. That's yeah. why. You know, it Not was, gravity. It makes no, sense. The devil did it. <laughs> the devil did it. Yeah, he had been arrested in Battenberg um, because he had recommended that the local chaplain called Dostinius should uh, use arsenic to get rid of his stubble. <laughs> I'm sure that went well, too. Yeah. Uh, Dostinius uh, smeared his face with a potion, upon which he lost not only his beard, but also much of his skin. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> and, that's extremely effective. And, an anecdote uh, where was uh, says that he had heard from the victim himself, so probably over some cocktails. You know, yeah. Let me tell you this great story where I lost my why, skin. Let me tell you how I got my scar yeah. on my face here. Right. Probably look like seal. Faust! <laughs> Faust! <laughs> In light of, of, of records of uh, an activity spanning more than 30 years, uh, it has been suggested that there were two itinerant magicians called themselves Faust, one Georg 
active around 1505 to 1515, and the other Johann, active in the 1530s. Yeah, so that's where you get Johann Georg, Dr. Johann Georg Faust. Okay. P possibly. And then, um, yeah, he supposedly had an uncle living in Wittenberg, and hence the Faust house there. So there are some records of his uncle asking his nephew to come there. Um, there are many people with the last name Faust. So it's, this is what it's, makes it confusing. Yeah, so right. it makes it confusing. And then there's also Johann Fust, F-U-S-T, who lived roughly the same time, from 1400 to 1466, who was Johann Gutenberg's business partner. And then there's, so some stories, some people think that he was actually the real Faust. Um, so again, so, you know, many legends, more than one person for the inspiration for the legends. And, you know, that's how these legends get so big or, you know, larger than life. And to bring but, it a little closer to home, Travis, here in Prague, we also have something called the Faust House, uh, which uh, we'll, we'll mention here because, you know, we're, we're actually right next to it and not yeah. a, few, a few kilometers away. It's up the road from Hooters. It, it, yeah. If, if you, if you also the first defenestration. <laughs> but, okay, but Hooters, should we say that? <laughs> Right, near the first defenestration in Newtown, okay? So, um, under the rule of Rudolf II, astrologer Jakob Krusinek lived there, for lived there with two sons of his own. The younger son killed the other one for alleged treasure hidden in the house. Yeah. In this Faust house, and, by the way. Uh, yeah, the Faust house, is, there's a lot of cool stories there. And, uh, among other dwellers of the Faust house, there was also the famous alchemist Edward Kelly. And then also Ferdinand Antonin Mladota of Solopiski, whose chemical experiments, which, again, led to these big explosions, making holes in the roof, scared people in the neighborhood. So there's, there's more than one building where the, the, there's that, basically the same story, okay. where there's the holes in the ceiling. So there's the Devil's House by an old town, um, which is kind of on the way to the... Uh, it's not the Charles Bridge. It's the one, one up. It's between the Charles Bridge and the Cherning Bridge. Or the Cherny, Cherny Most. Cherny Most Black yeah. Bridge, right. right. So, well, i got to ask you this. On these tours, Travis, are, are there still holes that have been saved or like made? plastered over? Or, or been no. made in the roof it's to, been totally for tourists? Renovated. Totally okay. renovated. Because we're talking so. hundreds of years at this point. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, but Marotta's son was, was good not only at physics and chemistry, but also mechanics. And he actually astounded his visitors by a door opening itself, also a flying staircase, and also electric shock, shocks while touching the handle. So all these little parlor tricks at the time, supposedly, was in the Faust House. So probably the most eccentric uh, dweller of the Faust House was Karl Jennig in, this, in the 19th century. He had painted the walls with funeral texts. He had a, a functional gallows at the home and slept in a wooden coffin. A little bit creepy, yes. Uh, in his will, he wished to be put into the coffin with his face to the bottom, just like Faust. And again, yeah, exactly. So there's some repetition there, too. But this guy was real. I mean, he actually lived there in the 19th century. Um, so yeah, that's, so it all kind of comes together. There's a lot of interwoven stories here. Um, even Faust never lived in Prague. I don't, you know, it's just called that because it was a famous alchemical house. Then you have the stories of Faust and, um, yeah, so it all comes together. But I, I have to thank Der Budla for the inspiration for this episode. There's an interview of him or two actually at this point on my History of Germany podcast and, um, there will probably be more from him to come because he's, he's you know, kind of an expert on, on Luther and the Reformation. So now if you understand German, you can also give his shows a listen. They're really fascinating. The, the secret cabinet, Das Geheime Kabinett, is, I don't know if I want to mention it again, but, but there was one episode on the foreskin of Jesus oh boy. as a relic. <laughs> like there's several oh. relics floating around the Catholic world. 
That's, um, one, that's but, one of them. I've never heard that before. Oh, yeah. Several. Several. <laughs> um, because it's actually, like, the story is that it's, it is one of the most holy relics. Uh, of course, there's, like, several dozen foreskins of Jesus in, in the world that we live in. Um, but if there, was, if there were one that was genuine, I doubt any of them are, but if there were one that was genuine, think about it. Jesus went to heaven. So, like, you know, he was raised into heaven, which means there are no human remains of him, period. No finger bone, no eyeballs, no things that Catholics put into shrines and put on altars. No. Only his foreskin, because he was circumcised as a Jew when he was seven days old. Does that keep? No. Should we have this conversation any more than that we're doing right now? <laughs> uh, I think I'm over it. But, I think I'm done, But too. if you think about it... So wow, in, things you learn in this podcast. In the medieval like Catholic thinking, that is the holiest thing. Forget the true cross. No, that's actually a part of Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There, but okay. But besides foreskins, there's several other uh, interesting topics. He did he did one on the graffiti of Pompeii, which honestly isn't much better topic because it's a lot about prostitutes and such activities my question to you is when we put this show together what are you doing with your meta tags <laughs> oh yeah no foreskin and prostitutes okay is, oh, yeah. is going to be part of it so it'd be oh, easier yeah. to find for most people yeah oh yeah it'll be great easy to find. fantastic yeah. um <laughs> not safe for work but yeah so if you speak german listen to his shows if you don't speak german the interviews that i do with him i do translate them to English. So in the History of Germany podcast, the interviews I have with him, you can listen to them in English also. Of course, it's just me talking to myself. Um, Normal Tuesday. But that's kind of how I roll anyways. So In fact, Pete Coleman is a made-up character, and I just <laughs> change my voice a little bit. I'm actually a sock puppet. And, and right I use now. ventriloquism <laughs> to make the other microphone kind of... Anyways, so yeah, you can, you can still enjoy the History of Germany episodes where he's in it at least. Um, okay, so sorry about the foreskin talk. I am too, <laughs> as a matter of fact. <laughs> but yeah, okay, there you have it. Anyway, so this this podcast kind of went downhill fast, <laughs> pretty quickly actually. But, the last few minutes, but I, I am really excited to talk about uh, Faust and that potential find and the potential link between them. Um, it's really hard. It's really rare to say this room, this alchemical lab, belonged to this alchemist. There are some examples, like in the in the. Um, around Prague, for instance, and um, also in Krakow or War- Warsaw, right? Yeah, I mean there are a few, but specifically in Prague, we, we can actually point to the Black Tower at Prague Castle, right? Exactly, but they're yeah. mostly in castles or yeah. something. Which it's hard to say. Here's just a house on the street, and it belonged to one of the most known alchemists of all time. Yeah. I mean, if you think alchemists, there's probably like three or four to come to mind. Faust is definitely, you know, a legend among alchemists. So, sorry for the downhill decline there towards the end, but thank you very much for listening. Thanks. Take care.